Hey, miserable bitches. We are back with another episode of Misery Manor. My name is Cody. My name is Emily. And before we get started, make sure you leave your manners at the door. Welcome to your favorite true crime podcast. Hello. <laughs> it's officially December. It is. It's going by super fast. I'm moving in less than three weeks. Yeah, and... she's moving to a new apartment. Yay. If anybody would like two rabbits. They're up for grabs. Emily is trying to teeter back and forth whether she keeps them or not. Um, I think once I you just see... need to rehome them because they seem so unhappy with me. Well, if you love your baseboards, you don't want them, or your curt shower curtains, or your oh, they were my fabric curtains, like blackout curtains for my bed. They all have little nibbles on them, so you know they're cute as could be. One's name is Stevie, and the other's name is Little Nikki. Y'all know what that one is. I don't think you've posted one of the the newer ones. Stephanie, no, she's cute as can be. Um, she's actually Holland lop slash mini lop. So she's pretty big girl. Yeah. And they're not like the rabbit. They're not like the little rabbits you see on the side of the road. These are like, like they're Holland lops or lop rabbits. I have lop ears. They're so cute. They're cute as could be, but I just, they hate me. And I'm like, I don't want them to be unhappy. Yeah. And like, I come home and they're like, "Mm." yeah, I've been here for about two hours and I haven't even seen one yet they're under my bed like they're just like they're like fuck i know she's back <laughs> they like party when you're not here and then when you walk in they're like oh fuck here she is i know it makes me i literally sometimes i'll think about it and i start like getting teary-eyed <laughs> and at night i like just google i'm like why do my rabbits hate me oh at lunch today i was like looking up ways to make them love me well have you tried getting a um psychic to help you with that sometimes they can connect your mind there's someone at work that had a pet psychic i'm totally kidding but hey if whatever works for you or just get rid of can they not live if you just put them outside oh hell i'm not doing that oh i did that to my guinea pigs that is well i put them in their cage and i sat them outside of pet smart and wrote a note that said look i'm an unfit parent please (laughs) (laughs) please take these guinea pigs from me i can't do it and I put all the box, I put all their food together in this box. And, um, didn't you have like five of them? No, I had two custard and mustard. <laughs> they even had little outfits, but they would kick their shit on the ground. I know. I helped you clean that drawer out. Yes. And they would pull on the cage at night, just pull on it. Like I would throw so many pillows at that cage and just like, I just <laughs> couldn't because I knew it was either going to be. There was going to be a strangulation. I was, no, I was saying it was just like, so I was trying to sleep and they're just like, <laughs> they make the weirdest noises. And I'm like, oh, hell to the no. They're so, yeah. so sweet though. They are. They are sweet. Um, This weekend I had the worst nosebleed. Oh, I know. I forgot to ask you about it. You said you were going to tell me about well, it. Well, I went into the shower and I saw a dripple and I was like, oh, oh fuck. No. 
I was, there we go. And I the was brain like, oh my tumor. God. I was like, oh my God, I'm bleeding. His rupture. So I stuck. On, the only thing I could grab really quick was my shirt. And I shoved it up there because I was still in the middle of showering. But then I get out and I pull the the little tissue out and more came out like clotty, like, oh, like blood slugs. So then, oh. you know, me, I start sweating and I'm like, oh my God. So I'm like, was Joshua in there? Yeah. He's like, you're fine. Nosebleeds are normal. So then I'm Googling like, how long do I need to wait until I have to go Die. to the hospital? Mm-hmm. And um, it was just like, if you can fill up a cup, you should be concerned. But I knew I couldn't do that. So then I, I checked again, again, it came out like a lot. I was like, this is it. I'm dying. I felt weak. I thought I was going to pass out. I looked like I had been murdered. Not really. But then Josh was like, if we put a piece of ice on the bridge of your nose, it'll constrict those um, veins or whatever. Uh-huh. And that worked. And so I looked and it was gone. Um, and is that, and what? I was going to say, he lives to see another day, honey. Oh my God. <laughs> is it a side effect of one of the new medications you're on? No, I think it's just the, um, the, the air is dry and I did like all I did was like this so I like scratched it or something oh, and it no. just kind of ripped so it wasn't like anything like and it was okay. only one nasty oh no we but I was like nosy I was like oh my god anyways <laughs> so that was my weekend but also that's I, all the whole weekend that's the whole weekend was just bloody blood no it wasn't because you watched Amanda Knox oh wait not Who? Amanda Knox sorry who the fuck is that oh Casey Anthony yes yes we're not going to give her any airtime. Fuck that bitch. Uh, so we do have a new Patreon named Kimberly. Would I get in trouble for saying that? No. Okay. A lot of people think that. I mean, I think she did it, but. No. I... Who's going to. They... Is there a Patreon cop or a, a Patreon? Is there a podcast cop that's going to come get you? Yes. So there's a new Patreon. Her name is Kimberly. So welcome. We'll be sending you some stuff in the mail. Um, she just. I think it was like over the weekend. So I'll have, oh. her, I'll have her address for oh, you. Okay. Um, we are going to be sending all of our Patreons Christmas cards. We're going to go after this and get those done. And we just recorded an episode that's going to be uploaded this week. It, it's the horrific abuse of Lauren Cavanaugh. Oh, it is. Who was a girl who was locked in a closet for six years straight and all of the shit that she endured. Literally. So, literally so if you want to get exclusive episodes come on over to the patreon (laughs) we uh the link is in our instagram bio at misery manor podcast please rate review and subscribe while you're there yes oh my god i literally had that next remind emily to say rate review subscribe cool (laughs) so (laughs) here we go so on this episode this is a wild one because wait are you gonna do the update about a boy in the box Okay. So on this episode, we are going to be diving into the horrific and terrifying murder of Cassie Jo Stoddart. I know you know who she is. So high school student Cassie Jo Stoddart had the world ahead of her when her life was cut short by two of her friends and classmates, Tori Adamick and Brian Drapper. So both of them wanted to become world famous killers. It was their dream and it was their ultimate goal. They wrote about it in journals. They filmed themselves saying it. That's what they wanted. It's just odd that people can find one another that both want to do like horrific things together. So their plan was to mimic what they had seen in the cult horror classic Scream. So these boys stopped and filmed Cassie Jo Stoddard before stabbing her to death in September of 2006. So the killers even had the balls to document their true crime on video. Um which is a move, obviously, that's going to later come back and bite them in the butthole. Mm-hmm. Um, and you'll see that. So this episode is going to contain some of the um, audio recordings of their 
um, the night of the murder, after the murder, and it's going to be them talking. So just yeah. a warning. When they recorded her, did they just, did they video record not, her? Yeah, not them killing her. So they would record like her at school. They would record in their car, like yeah, headed to her. That one picture you showed me, it was, was like, school. Yeah. it was like a video. It was like um, a still yeah. of a video. Yep. Okay. Awesome. So awesome. <laughs> awesome. So Cassie Jo Stoddart was born on December 21st, 1989, and was raised by her grandparents for quite some time when she was younger alongside her other siblings. She's our age. So Cassie's younger brother was quoted saying that Cassie was his ultimate role model. So Cassie mm. was known to family and friends as responsible. She was artistic. She was a straight A student with an amazing and loving personality and a passion for music and drawing. She attended uh, Pocatello High School, where she was a junior, and she was well-liked by her classmates, but was very focused on, um, on excelling and learning in school. The sheriff that worked on her case said, quote, she didn't do anything but attend school. She didn't do anything but be friends with somebody else It just in just about everybody. So she was friends with, like, she was like the girl in school that you were like, you know, Miss Pop, not Miss Popular, but just the person that just got along with everybody. Right. So Cassie had dreams of graduating high school and continuing her studies in college to become a lawyer. So Cassie Joe and her family lived, like I said, in Pocatello, Idaho, which was a largely Mormon town in southeast Idaho, where life was simple and everybody felt safe. But that was all about to change. And the murder of Cassie Joe Stoddart would shock this community. So let's get into like how this all transpired. So on September 21st, 21st, 2006, 16-year-old Cassie Jo Stoddart was house-sitting uh, for her aunt and uncle, Allison and Frank Contreras, which was just a few miles away from her own home. So the Contreras family was out of town, was going out of town, and they hired Cassie Jo to come take care of their three cats and two dogs for the weekends. Okay, see, I'm not that crazy. You just have two farm animals. Are they farm animals? A rabbit is a farm animal and a roadkill. <laughs> So they knew their house pets would be very well taken care of because of how responsible Cassie mm -hmm. was. So, however, like any 16-year-old girl, Cassie was a bit fearful to be in this huge house alone. And with the okay from her aunt and uncle that night, Cassie Joe invited her boyfriend, Matt Beckham, to join her at the house and keep her company. And they were just going to watch movies and, you know, take care of the pets and all that good stuff. And her, parent, and her aunt and uncle were like, yeah, of course, invite him over. Yeah, I'm sure that's all they were going to do. So together, Cassie and Matt decided that they wanted to invite their friends, Tori, the ones mentioned earlier, yes. who brought along Brian. So these boys were also from Pocatello as well, and they kind of kept to themselves, though. However, they would hang out with Cassie and Matt from time to time. They were kind of like the not weird kids in school. I don't want to say weird, but they were just different. They kind of kept to themselves. Oh so we're about those sometimes. So, right. Before we get into the murder and how this all happened, let's get into some background on Tori and Brian. So Tori and Brian, like I said, both attended high school with Cassie, Joe, and Matt, and were in the same grade. Both boys were raised Mormon, but had actually become atheists just before the murder took place. Okay. <laughs> so Tori and Brian were best friends and formed their friendship over their love of horror films, especially Scream, and started recording what they called mockumentaries on yeah. their own. So, however, unknown to anyone, the boys were actually keeping a, quote, death list that contained the names of several of their friends and classmates they wanted to kill. 
Oh, no, man. One of the names on the list was Cassie Jo Stoddard. So she wasn't random. No, she wasn't random. Oh, okay. Well, like they, but they didn't have a reason why. Oh, okay. They were just picking people out. That's so strange. Like they picked her for some reason. It has to be. So some people say that they actually had a crush on Cassie and that Matt was one of their good friends. So they were taking their anger out and like, well, we'll just kill her. Are they like one person? Like they both had a crush on it? Okay. Right. I hate them. So let's talk about these mockumentaries that they recorded. So Brian and Tori had started filming themselves in their plans to murder Cassie Joe Stoddart days before the actual murder. So I'm going to play a clip of the two boys in the car that were on their way to meet up with Cassie and her boyfriend, Matt. Remember at her aunt's house. Yes, I think I've heard this. Yes. There should be no odds against killing people. I know it's a wrong thing, but Hell, you restrict somebody from it, they're going to want it more. We found our victim, and sad as it may be, she's our friend. But you know what? We all have to make sacrifices. Our first victim is going to be Cassie Stoddard. She's going to be alone in a big, dark house out in the middle of nowhere. How perfect can you get? I'm like, holy shit, dude. I'm horny just thinking about it. Hell yeah. Okay. just thinking about it. I feel like I feel like the one that I heard or that I remember one of them is like getting super hyped up and the other one's kind of like chill. Right. Oh, okay. that that becomes after. Yeah. Okay. And you'll see. So when Tori and Brian arrived at the house, Cassie Joe welcomed them and gave the boys a tour of the house. Um, so including the basement and introduced them to the family's pets. So the four teens went into the living room to watch the film Kill Bill Volume 2. But Tori and Brian ended up leaving before the film ended, saying that they wanted to go watch a movie at the local theater instead. And so they're like, well, that's weird. You, Why did you come over here then, right? But unbeknownst to Cassie, just before leaving, Brian had snuck down to the home's basement and started unlocking some of the doors in the home so that Tori and him could sneak back in later that night. So turns out Brian and Tori actually thought that Cassie Joe was having a party and that they had actually planned to kill everybody at the party. Okay. So in part of their mockumentary that they were filming, Brian said, quote, so we're going to go fucking kill her and her friends and we're going to keep moving on. I heard some news about, and I'm leaving this individual's name out, um, but she's, they said, we heard that she's going to be home alone from six to seven. So we might kill her, then drive over to Cassie's thing and scare the shit out of them and then kill them one by fucking one. Hell yeah. To which Tori responds, why one by one? Why can't it be a slaughterhouse? And then uh, Brian replied, two by two, three by three, because we've got to keep it classy. Hey, we're not okay. We are sick psychopaths who get their pleasure off killing people. Yeah, I've heard the recording of them saying that, and it is cringeworthy, to say the least. Um, He says, we've got to keep it classy. It, yeah. I, what, are you going to bring in a Swiffer afterwards and wipe up everything? Like, no, I don't, I don't <laughs> get it. So as Brian and Tori left the residence, they were like, you know, thank you so much for having us. It's been wonderful. And Cassie was like, oh, yeah, thank you so much for stopping by. Get home safe yada 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 so and then the two boys were out the door but they were not going to the theater to watch a movie like they claimed they were going to gather what they needed to carry out their evil plan of murdering cassie now i 
sorry. No, you're they, not being like this but i do believe that they did actually buy movie tickets no for, they did yeah for their alibi yes. yeah so here's a clip of what the boys recorded after leaving the residence that cassie joe was at okay i was 9 50 september 22nd 2006. you know there's lots of doors there, there's lots of places to hide i locked the back doors that's all locked Wait. Yeah, so hours later, when the two boys returned, they parked down the street of the home. They put on all black clothing, gloves, and just like their favorite horror movie, Scream, the two boys had terrifying masks to try and hide their identity. And I showed you that mask earlier. I hated it. Scary. It's like, think of like, um, it reminds me of that dance crew, the Jabberwockies. Yes! I don't even know how I know those people. Yeah, so the Jabberwockies, but they put blood all over it. So it looks like they're, it looks like it's almost like crying blood, but I'll post a photo of it so you it's can see like it. It's just like a motionless white face. Yes, exactly. So with the supplies in their hand and their costumes on, Brian and Tori snuck back into the residence through the basement door that they had left unlocked, while Matt and Cassie were cozied up on the couch, finishing Kill Bill Volume 2 in the living room. So as Tori and Brian got situated in the basement, they wanted to somehow lure Cassie, Joe, and Matt to the basement to, quote, just to scare them. Okay. So Brian and Tori started making noises however they could. They were beating on the walls. They were throwing things, you know, like like clapping their hands. And they waited and they listened for quite some time. But they realized the sounds did not work like they had hoped and like they weren't coming. Surprised the animals weren't making noises. Oh, just wait. So either Cassie, Joe, and Brian did not hear the sounds or they weren't too concerned. But when that didn't work, the boys were like, okay, I got another idea. So one of them pointed out a breaker box, which controlled all the power in the house and was like, hey, let's just cut their power out. That'll scare them. So just like that, they walked over to the breaker box and shut the power out to the entire home. Did they cut it or just turn shut, it off? They just turned it off. Oh, okay. So obviously this frightened Cassie and she was like, oh my God, like what happened, Matt? Like what happened? Like they could hear her screaming. She was like, what do we do? I'm scared. So Matt later recalled that around that time, the power shut off. One of the family's dogs kept staring down the basement stairs and it was like barking and growling. And they like went over to it and like looked around. And they're like, what is it? What is it? But they didn't see anything. And they were like, no one's down there. Like no one goes in the basement, you know? So after some time, they put the power back on. And Tori even admitted later that he eventually turned some of the lights back on, but also called the house phone of the residence, like when the light kind of like when a stranger calls because you know house kind phones, of like scream yeah and you know because house phones still work and he was calling to scare them like he had planned to make like scary noises on the phone but they didn't answer so with cassie joe freaked out and paranoid matt decided to call his mother and he was like hey mom you know do you mind if i just stay the night here with cassie she's a bit scared to stay in the house the power came off it came back on um, and she would just feel better if I stayed here. And after Matt and his mother kind of went back and forth for quite some time, his mother was like, no, Matt, I don't want you to stay there unsupervised. Absolutely not. That's inappropriate. You know, y'all are teenagers. Cute she, of you to ask, but no. But no. But she was like, but how about this? Why don't you and Cassie Joe just come here and stay the night? Like, I would feel much better about that. I can even call her parents if she wants me to. And Matt was like, okay, I'll ask her. But Cassie, being the responsible young teen, she was like, no, I can't leave this house. I promised my aunt and uncle that I'd watch the house and the pets. I'll be fine. Don't worry about it. I'm sure it's nothing. So 
Sadly, obviously, this decision would ultimately prove fatal. So Matt did leave. So around 10.30 p.m. that night, Matt's mother picked him up, leaving Cassie Joe at the house alone. So before leaving, Matt gave her a kiss and was like, hey, call me if you need anything. I'll actually call you when I get home. Um, you're going to be fine. You know, everything's going to be fine. And he was like, I love you. So on his way home, Matt actually called Tori's cell phone to see if he and Brian like were still out hanging out hoping to meet up meet up with them that night. Right. So, but when Tori answered the phone, Matt could barely hear him. He was like, hey man, what's up? I can't really talk right now. Like he was whispering. So Matt just hung up and assumed that they were at the movie like they said, you know? He was like, yeah. oh, okay, they're whispering because they're at the movie like they yep. said. Wrong. They were whispering because they were in the house and they didn't want Cassie to hear them. <laughs> Terrifying. So leaving only Cassie, Joe, in their home... They knew it was time to carry out their dark and evil plan. But I do have to say one thing. Yeah. Them turning out or doing the breaker thing is actually really stupid because if she knew the breaker box was down there, she would have found them down there. I know. But that's what they wanted. They wanted to kill her down there. Okay. Right. They wanted to lure her down there. Oh. Right. Okay. So then when she didn't come, they turned they the came on. to her. Yep. Okay. So, um, so after sorry. waiting, no, you're good. So after waiting some time, Cassie never went downstairs. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. So for a second time, they were like, let's have some fun. Let's get out of, let's get a rise out of Cassie. She's here by herself. So once again, the boys threw the circuit, circuit break it again. They cut the power out in the entire home and waited. But Cassie Joe didn't go downstairs. In fact, she went upstairs. <laughs> she was like, oh, fuck. She like went up to a room upstairs. And after waiting and waiting and waiting, Brian and Tori like, well, let's just make our way upstairs then so brian was armed with a dagger style weapon and tori had a hunting type knife in his hands but the two boys didn't just want to kill cassie they wanted to have some more fun with her so as the two crept upstairs brian opened and slammed the closet door in the hallway a few times hoping that this would get cassie into thinking that someone was in the house and it definitely got Cassie's attention. And it was reported that she said, quote, who is it? I will kick your ass. So Brian and Tori knew that this was the perfect moment. So they went upstairs. They attacked her. They stabbed her approximately 30 times, 12 of those stabs, which were fatal. So forensic uh, pathologist Dr. Charles Garrison later testified that m most of the fatal wounds struck the right ventricle of Cassie Joe's heart. So once this gruesome attack was over, the killers um, left Cassie's body to just bleed out and they fled the scene. So here's a clip of their video after they had killed Cassie and get back into the car. Okay. Brace yourself. Okay. <laughs> I just killed Cassie, just left her house. This is not a fucking joke. I stabbed her in the throat and I saw her lifeless body just disappear. Dude, I just killed Cassie. Oh, oh fuck. That felt like fucking real. I mean, when I so fast. the fuck up, we gotta get our act straight. Okay. Dumbasses. That's. So Brian and Tori then drove to a remote area. They what? Drove. Oh, I think you said drove. They drove, they drove, they did it all. So Brian and Tori then drove to a remote area, put all of their weapons, gear, and clothing in a bag, and just set it on fire. Okay. Then, to make sure they had their alibi right, you were correct, they went to the movie theater to buy tickets for the movie that they had told Matt and Cassie Joe that they were going to go see. Wait, so they had to buy 
They bought tickets and did not watch the movie. I know, but I'm like, they bought... This is around 10 o'clock. So as Cassie Joe's lifeless body still remained in the home, the following morning, Matt repeatedly tried to call uh, Cassie 15 times. He was worried and very freaked out because this was not like her to respond. So Cassie's mother, too, was calling her and texting her as well with no response. So in an eerie twist, Matt actually hung out with Tori and his family that Saturday evening, having no idea that less than 24 hours prior to his uh, to this, his friends had viciously killed his girlfriend. So while hanging out, though, Matt continued to grow more and more worried. They could see that he was worried about Cassie. Like, he was constantly on his phone, like, dude, I don't know what's wrong with her. She's not answering. So he was like, you know, maybe she had gotten busy or preoccupied with the pets. But as time and time passed, Matt was like, went up to Tori and was like, hey, do you think you could drive me back to the house that Cassie's at? I have not heard from her and I'm worried. And he didn't have a car. And Tori was like, dude, I wish I could. You know, I don't have enough gas to get there. I'm so sorry. But I'm sure she's fine. I'm sure she's fine. So he was like, okay. So unfortunately, Cassie's body wasn't discovered until two days after her murder on September 24th, 2006 on that Sunday. Her parents didn't drive over there? No. Isn't that crazy to me? I was thinking the same thing. And it's not that far from them. So, that is wild. So Cassie Joe's body was discovered, oh, this is sad, when her aunt and uncle and cousins came home from their weekend trip. So it was a Sunday afternoon, and when the family arrived home, they were shocked to see the front door unlocked, and there was, like, broken glass all by the stairs. So Cassie Joe's 13-year-old cousin was first to stumble across Cassie Joe and found her in a pool of her own blood. She screamed and she was like, Mom, Dad, oh my God, something terrible's happened to Cassie. Come here quickly. I think she's dead. So Allison and Frank started um, calling the authorities immediately. Um, shortly after, Allison called Cassie's mother and stepfather and informed them that their beloved daughter had been murdered. So the responding officers noted that Cassie Joe's body was covered in blood and riddled with deep lacerations and stab wounds. It was also noted that her pinky finger was completely cut off, which indicates that Cassie Joe was putting up a fight when she yeah. was attacked. So everyone was dumbfounded on how in the world this could have happened to her. Um, she had no enemies. She was well-loved. She, this was a small community that right. crime was not very prevalent. So her family could not wrap their head around who could have committed this gruesome crime, especially in this town. But it didn't take long for investigators to determine that Tori and Brian were among the last people to see Cassie Joe Stoddard alive. So investigators learned that Cassie had invited her boyfriend Matt over to the residence that evening. So detectives brought him in for an interview mm-hmm. who at this point they could, um, who at this point they thought he kind of had committed the murder right, or had a part in it. had a part in it. So oddly enough, it was stated that Matt showed little to no emotion when he found out that his girlfriend had been murdered. So this raised a lot of suspicion. And during the interrogation video that I watched, he was kind of just like, I don't, I mean, people handled these kind of things differently. So I don't want to be like, he didn't care, but he was just kind of just chilling. So, mm. When they interviewed Matt, Matt stated that he and Cassie Joe had also invited Tori and Brian out to the house. So Matt told the police that Brian and Tori hung out for a couple of hours before they left. So now detectives are like, hmm, we need to talk to Brian and Tori as well, because they could have um, had some part in this as well. So Tori was interrogated that same day, and he initially told detectives, quote, Brian and I had gone over to the house around 830 that night. 
They told us there was going to be a party, but that never happened. So Brian and I decided to leave and go watch a movie. Then we spent the night at my house. So that was his alibi. So the detectives were like, oh, you saw a movie. How was the movie? Tell me about it. Like, what was the movie like? And he was like, uh, I, I can't remember anything about the movie. Oh, my God. Like, baby, if you're going to say you watched a movie, at least do your research. They're going to ask you about it. You said you went to the movies. They're going to ask you about it. So the detectives were like, hmm, okay. So they brought in Brian after that. And Brian admitted to the police that the two of them unlocked one of the doors at the house. But it was like, he played it off like they were just trying to, he was like, I thought it would be funny to come back in later and scare them. Like, but we didn't do it. So he also told the investigators that he and Tori wore masks, black clothing, gloves, and carried knives with them. But they did not take part in that. It was just to scare them. I wonder which one he is in that clip where he's, is he, I wonder if he's the one that was like, get your. So Brian's the one that's like, get your ass together, get your shit together. And he's the one. Oh, wait, no, no, no. I'm sorry. Opposite. Brian's the one that actually, I think. Oh. So, um. So just like that, Tori, um, Tori also said that they went to the movies. He was like, yeah, we went to the movie. Or Brian said that we did go to the movies. Um, but he could, and he was like, yeah, we saw the movie Pulse. But when they were like, okay, what's it about? He didn't know either. <laughs> so three days later, they brought Brian back in and he cracked under pressure. And te- detectives were basically like, we do not believe you that, that you and Tori went to the movies. We don't. We have evidence that you didn't. So he told the investigators, he was like, you're right. We did not see a movie, but we did steal from cars that night, but we didn't commit the murder. So Brian's parents then allowed the detectives to come into their home and do a full search of his bedroom. And they found the covering of the knife. Like, I think it's called a, a knife sheath. sheath. Yeah. Um, and he was like, oh, no, 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 that's not mine. It belongs to a friend. My thing is like they burned it. I don't feel like that would burn. Maybe no. the handle. Well, remember the mask I showed you? It didn't burn very well. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So in a final third interview, Brian came clean. Well, almost. So Brian revealed almost everything about the occurrences that night, but said after they slammed the door shut a few times in an attempt to scare her, that Tori walked up and stabbed her. And he thought to himself, I thought they were playing a joke on me. Until he saw her real wounds. So he assured officers that he only stood there watching, claiming, quote, I wondered what Tori was doing because this was supposed to be a joke. So now he's turning on his friend. Right. So he went on to say that he never stabbed or touched Cassie. But later, when the investigator asked Brian if he stabbed Cassie to keep Tori from turning on him, he was like, yes, yes, yes. I was scared of him. I thought he was going to turn on me. So I did do it. So now he was playing onto that part. See, I think he's the one in the recording that's like, Oh, we did we did all this, and the other one is the he, one that was yeah, like, yeah. So Shut he's up. the one that's like, we got to get our shit together. The Tory. one, Tori. Tori. Okay. Yeah, exactly. So on September twenty seventh, law enforcement brought back um, into the police department for a second interview. Oh wait, I'm sorry. As sorry, jumped ahead. So then Brian led the law enforcement to a stash of evidence that uh-huh. had buried that he had buried in uh, Black Rock Canyon. So the uh-huh. evidence included a two dagger style knives, uh, the silver and black handles of the knife, um, a folding knife, a red and white mask, latex gloves, and the videotapes that they shot of themselves before and after the murder. So is that 
after they realized it didn't burn, they yeah, went and they were buried like, him. Oh fuck! It's still not burned. <laughs> so on a se- oh on God. September twenty seventh, law enforcement brought Tori back into the police department for a second interview. Though he tried to stick to his original story, the police were quick to cut to the chase. They were like, "Look, we already know what happened. We already know." We already know you need to confess. And this is what happened. Y'all did it. And Tori's father, who was in the room with them, looked at him and said, is this true? And Tori replied, yes. So he he admitted to it. So Tori and Brian were both arrested on September 27th, 2006, just five days after the murder. The charges were being upheld that uh, were first degree murder and conspiracy to commit first degree murder because they planned it out. Yeah. So the transcript of the tape, which was later read aloud in court, demonstrated the callousness of the pair. So when Brian, so with Brian also exclaiming how they'll make history by becoming notorious serial killers, which was a dream for both of them. So they referenced notorious serial killers like the Hillside Stranglers, the Zodiac Killer, and Ted Bundy. They also mentioned that they were inspired by Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold. Do you know who those are? Mm-mm. They're the Columbine High School oh, shooters. Oh, okay. Yep. In the horror film Scream, in which several teenagers are killed by a mutual friend, which is exactly what they did. Wow. So in one of the clips that the boys recorded, they said, quote, those people were mere amateurs compared to what we're going to fucking do. So during one of the segments, so one of the clips, Brian said the two had tried unsuccessfully to kill on eight or nine previous occasions, saying, quote, but they have never been home alone, to which Tori replied, or when they have, their parents ended up showing up. So they were admitting that they had tried to kill people on eight or nine different times, but it didn't work out. That's horrible. So Cassie Joe was unfortunately alone and the perfect target for these boys to carry out their Because they knew no one was going to come over there. Yep. So, at trial, the jury had to sit through the extensive forensic testimony documenting and analyzing Cassie Joe's wounds. So, the medical examiner, uh, Dr. Steve Scomel, performed the autopsy on Cassie on September 25th, 2006. So, he determined that the cause of Stoddard's death was stab wounds to the trunk. In all, doctor... Um, to the trunk? To the, her trunk area, like her abdomen, oh. her back, her sides... So he documented 30 knife-related wounds on her body, 12 of which were potentially fatal. So the state had also forensic pathologist Dr. Charles Garrison examined Stoddard's body, and Dr. Garrison testified, it, quote, It's my opinion that there were at least two knives used, one of which was non, a non-serrated blade and one which was a serrated blade. So the majority of Cassie Joe's uh, potentially fatal wounds that Dr. Scomel listed were infected, uh, were inflicted with the serrated blade. However, wound number one, which struck the right ventricle of Stoddard's heart, was inflicted by a non-serrated blade, consistent with the testimony. And they think that that one was potentially the fatal one. So they thought maybe the first stab might have done it for her. I hope so. I hope so, too. But, on, oh, sorry. But on a, on April 17th, 2007, Brian was found guilty of first-degree murder and conspiracy to commit murder. So uh, Cassie Joe's grandfather, Paul, said one down, one more to go. Because they were tried separately? Yep. 
And uh, her mother, Anna Stoddart, merely said, I'm just happy my baby gets her justice. So Tory's trial began on May 31st, 2007, and he was convicted of the same charges on June 8th, 2007. So both received life sentences in prison without the possibility for parole, plus 30 years to life for the conspiracy behind the brutal slaying. So Tori and Brian are still serving their life sentences at the Idaho State Correctional Institution. I'm surprised that they're in the same I know. prison. They're actually on this documentary called Killer Teens or something like that. Oh. That's pretty good. So in September 2010, Tori requested that his sentence be uh, canceled and have the opportunity to get a new trial. But the judge was like, no, 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 no. Denied. And to this day, he's still in prison. So as for Brian, he asked for a new trial back in 2011. According to the Idaho State Journal, he asked the state Supreme Court justices to change or reduce his sentence. His public defender, Molly, said that his sentence was, quote, unconstitutionally cruel and that he was just immature and had poor judgment at the time of the murder. However, the judge was like, deny, because it was so gruesome. And very, like, carried, like, planned out. So also in 2010, the Stoddart family filed a civil lawsuit against the Idaho School District, claiming that school authorities were negligent and should have known that Brian and Tori posed a threat to others. Both the civil court and the Idaho Supreme Court dismissed the case, saying that there was, the actions of these killers were, un, like, unforeseeable. Who? Who was the family. Okay. Which I was like, wait, you can't. That's not going to work. <laughs> so while Cassie's entire family has undoubtedly suffered from grief as a result of this terrible loss, three family members in particular have uh, been greatly impacted. So that's Frank and Allison and the, daughter. the daughter whose Cassie's house or whose Cassie was whose house Cassie was murdered in. So they actually left that house that day and never went back. The local sheriff's office helped the family find temporary housing and helped cleaning up the crime scene. Wow. But the Contreras family never could bring themselves to go back. Not after what had happened to their daughter or their granddaughter or their niece in that home. So the family had tried to sell the home year after year since the attack, but no one has bought the house since because that's a small town. They know what's been going on in that house and no one will buy it. So Frank's stepdaughter, who had found Cassie's body, suffered a severe mental breakdown and attempted suicide following the murder due to what she walked up on. And Cassie's aunt, Allison, lost her job when she fell into a deep depression. So uh, Frank said, quote, I had to pick up a second job. The first two years were the worst. I was our dream home and it had turned into a nightmare because they had just renovated and bought that house and made it just how they wanted it. And then that happened in it. So wow. that concludes the horrific and senseless murder of Cassie Joe's daughter. And I'm going to post all the photos on our Instagram at Misery Manor Podcast. You can see the mask, the knives that they use, the two idiots, and beautiful Cassie. And another creepy part about this is I didn't play the clip, but they actually filmed her at school the day of the murder. And they went up to her and was like, Hey, Cassie. And she was like, hi. She was like in her locker. Uh-huh. And they were like, um, say hi to the camera. And she was like, hello. And they were like, where's Matt? And she was like, I'm not sure. But she was looking at him like, why are you asking me these questions? They're like, okay, bye. Have a good day. And she was like, bye. Little did she know that they were going to kill her. And that was part of their little mockumentary that they were making. I hate that so much. 
Okay, and I also wanted to give an update on an episode we did a few weeks back on The Boy in the Box. I actually listened to it today. You did? Yeah, and a lot of people have been reaching out to us like, oh my gosh, did you see this? Did you see this? About the news. Well, because in that episode, you talk about how they're trying to solve it by genealogy. Exactly. So just an update. So back in 1957, police, uh, Philadelphia police were unable to figure out The Boy in the Box's identity at the time of the crime ultimately classifying his cause of death as blunt force trauma and noting that he appeared so to be freshly groomed at the time of his murder, but also had suffered extensive physical trauma beforehand. But the police kept working on the case and did not want to give up. So in 2021, they exhumed the body from the Ivy Hill Cemetery site to collect DNA material. Mm -hmm. That material was eventually turned into a DNA profile that reportedly helped police make the connection to a genealogical information to make their identification. So Philadelphia police said Friday that they have uncovered the identity of the so-called, quote, boy in the box, a boy who was murdered, placed in a box, and abandoned in the city 65 years ago. So police have not released who it is, but they said that they will provide an update in the case as early as next week, being this week. That's what I was going to say, because so you told be, me this last week. Yeah, so it could be this Tomorrow. week. Yep, could be anytime this week. So look for an update. We're following it just as much as you. It's always exciting when we do a case and it has like an ending to well, it. Well, like Brittany Drexel. And Kristen Smart. We didn't do her. Kristen, yes, we did. The girl, college, Chester the molester. The girl in college went to the frat party, passed out. Oh, Halloween. Yeah, Halloween. Yeah. No, that's Chelsea. Kristen, remember she was being, she went to that party. The guy, um, she was, she disappeared from the party. People saw that she was like outside physically drunk. Yes. Chester the Molester now, I remember. Yes, I was like, girl, what? And he was, like, like, helping her, yes. and yay. So, yeah, like, all these, it's exciting to see it. So, uh, be looking for an update from us when it's we get it. me. And if you see anything, let us know. Like, anything else in the news, let us know. We'd love to see it. But until next time, have a lovely, wonderful week. You have chocolate on your lip. And you about to have a black lip when I punch that bitch ass. <laughs> Bye! Bye!